Mr. Minister, thank you so much uh, for your time. Well, first, uh, welcome to South Africa. Thank I'm you, glad sir. I know you from Beijing. Yes. What an important uh, summit this has been. President Xi and President um, Ramaphosa have had a marvelous chemistry, and uh, China has contributed enormously also to the output of this summit today. Mm. The expansion of BRICS uh, with uh, many important players from different continents, what does that mean for the new vigor? as the different presidents have put it in their speeches, and also new momentum in terms of global supply chains and also interactions among the BRICS economies. The expansion of BRICS, which is more than doubling the number of members, has a number of positive effects. First, it, brings, it, it enlarges the markets in BRICS, and that's very important. More than 400 million additional consumers come in. But it also brings new ideas, new raw materials and resources, and new technologies. And thirdly, it consolidates the idea that the voice of the Global South is important, that we need a world that is fair, that every country has the right to its path of development, and that should be protected, and that we, we are able to achieve what we do by cooperating. BRICS is not an exclusive body. We don't only want to trade with each other or invest in each other. We want a system where the world trades with each other and the world invests in each other. And measures where uh, we decouple from each other is not good for society, it's not good for the world. And so I think there is a new energy, a new vigor that comes with this additional membership. And bear in mind that there are many other countries that want to join BRICS. And within one bite, we were only able to deal with um, six countries, mm -hmm. but BRICS will no doubt um, be receiving many more expressions of mm -hmm. interest and membership applications. And I know that, um, that BRICS will grow both in size but also in influence. Mm. Looking at these six new members, a lot of them are energy-intensive countries, at least originally, UAE, Saudi Arabia, and also uh, even some of the Latin American countries. So how do you see on the global supply chain the BRICS countries can better cooperate with one another? And if there were cases like a further disruption of global supply chain, how can the economies support one another? One of the advantages that BRICS brings to uh, national economies is the, the close working relationship between BRICS ministers and heads of state. And it means then during periods of disruption, we can leverage off those relationships to unblock those disruptions, to ensure that there are stable, <clears throat> that there are stable supply chains uh, and that where there are gaps, they are quickly addressed. Energy is one such area, but there's also a common commitment in, in BRICS to promote green energy, Indeed. to recognize that climate change is real, that climate change will cause devastation to the lives, not of future generations only, but even of our generation, and that therefore we need to take the combined know-how and uh, technologies and help to green the economies of the BRICS countries, BRICS plus countries, the 11 countries and more. China today is the world's biggest producer of green component uh, that goes into wind and solar plants. Mm -hmm. And China is also the world's biggest producer of electric vehicles. And so those pioneering technologies that China has developed can find expression through the building of um, plants, uh, factories here on the African continent and in other BRICS countries, where China takes 
that technology mm. and makes it available. The Chinese business people will get a return on, on investment. The countries where they invest in will get more jobs right. and an, an opportunity to deepen the supply chains. So energy is both about the traditional energy that has powered the 20th century, but it's also about the new power sources of the 21st century. Right. This time, Mr. Minister, as you have noticed, uh, both sides, China and South Africa, has been focusing on not only infrastructure building, but also industrialization, as the African continent is embracing both from the first industrialization all the way to the fourth industrialization. So how would you expect this expansion and discussions among you and your counterparts, for example, be able to benefit and let African continent to embrace these industrializations at the same time, not has to go through every historical process. Yes. So I want to draw first the connection between infrastructure and industrialization. Indeed. Infrastructure lays the basis. You need rail lines, you need power supply and so on. But industrialization creates the market. If you don't have a growing and thriving market, you can't pay for your infrastructure. So uh, you seek always just to have them as donations. We don't want uh, the economic growth of Africa to be constrained because we rely on donations. We want a vibrant African economy that can pay for the infrastructure investment. And for that, you need industrialization. So what we're looking at now is using the mineral base of the African continent together with the technologies of BRICS countries. Those technologies can help to set up battery production plants. CATL from China is the world's biggest uh, battery uh, producer. They make batteries for cars, but also for power grid systems. And uh, we've pointed them to the, the opportunities to come and set up an operation here on the African continent, build those batteries here too. Yes, of course, build them in China, but also build them in Africa. And so we will develop regional value chains between African countries that would enable all countries to benefit. I met uh, today with the Zambian Minister of Trade. Mm -hmm. And Zambia has enormous uh, resources of copper. Copper would be used in electric vehicles, they would be used in many different applications. And Zambia also wants to make sure that that copper is processed here on the African continent. Mm -hmm. So there's a win-win opportunity between China and South Africa, uh, between BRICS and the African continent. And we can, at the moment, China has generated quite significant surpluses that has helped to power the Chinese economy. There's an opportunity for some of that capital surplus to be invested in commercially viable projects right. here on the African continent, which then gives a dividend flow that goes back to China and strengthens the standard of living of the Chinese people. Point out, Mr. Minister, the financing is a crucial issue right now. Of course, there's a lot of uh, misconceptions uh, uh, going on in, uh, for example, media reporting about the so-called African debt, uh, for so-called African debt, for example, to China. Uh, but we understand about 56% of uh, uh, racial uh, GDP uh, for African nations only for the debt. Uh, that's much lower than many of the developed economies. And meanwhile, three, uh, three quarters of those debts are to international financial institutions rather to other single economies such as China. So how do you see you know, the misconceptions that people have about the so-called African debt trap and also the urgent need and right understanding of financing for Africa. 
including, of course, South Africa. So I trace the challenge of development and debt to the end of the Second World War. When the Bretton Woods institutions were set up, the World Bank and the IMF, the voices of the Global South was quite weak. And so the shareholding in those institutions and the level of support that the IMF and the World Bank has given African countries has been, first of all, too low, secondly, too expensive, and thirdly, with too many conditions. What Africa needs is productive investment. More than debt, it needs productive investment, where companies invest in a factory that makes profit and uh, that can sell its goods. And so that's the industrialization part. So I don't think we can, uh, that it is an appropriate thing to blame a country for the debt de challenges. It's an underdevelopment trap that African countries have not emerged from at the end of colonialism. We saw, even though many African countries got political freedom, the economic chains were still there. And we want to break those chains. We want to work uh, very collaboratively with everybody. We want to work with the European Union and the United Kingdom. We want to work with the United States, with China, with India, The with private Indonesia, sector as well, all the, the stakeholders. Exactly. Uh, this is about an open world, a world that says when people interact, when they travel, when they exchange ideas, when they study in each other's countries, when they invest, when they, um, they eat the kind of products. I, I, I like to give the example. Uh -huh. When Admiral Zhong He did his famous voyages during the Song Dynasty, he came to the African continent, not as a colonizer, but as a friend. And what he took uh, with is a giraffe. And the giraffe uh, <laughs> went back to, uh, to, uh, to China. Uh -huh. That is a friendly exchange between peoples. Of course, in today's world, we can do even more. We don't only have to exchange giraffes, uh, but we can, we can now build integrated value chains. So I think the future of We can China, also do giraffes if we want to. Of course, we can also do giraffes. And uh, we can also invite Chinese people, come as tourists. The African continent is the most stunningly beautiful continent uh, in the world. South Africa, it's the place where the Atlantic and the Indian Oceans meet. And where they meet, there's a huge mountain that you can go up to the top of that mountain. You will find here the, the home of mankind, of humankind, mm -hmm. where the fossil records show right. uh, the early... Um, the early evidence of human beings before we moved to different uh, parts of the world. Africa is also a place that's vibrant. The music is Absolutely. great. The food is tasty. So we want more Chinese tourists to come, not only to South Africa, but to the to different parts of the African continent. I can see you're a lover of Africa. And Absolutely. it's very enticing what you just said to the tourists. Having said that, though, there's another question about the Belt and Road Initiative. This is already 10th anniversary of that, and also it's coincides with the 25th anniversary of China and South Africa uh, diplomatic relations. Now, how do you see the depth and the sophistication the BRI has become, and how much of that has been contributed by emerging economies like South Africa and also later the African continent? So as I, I see the Belt and Road Initiative, it's really an attempt to build the transport and logistic infrastructure to enable trade, tourism, friendship, investment. And all of those are important. We all need to have connections with each other. 
In the old days, the Silk Road was a major uh, moment where different parts of the world could trade with each other. Today, it's not only the Eurasian landmass where the original Silk Road was. The world has become more diversified. All parts of the world is now connected. And uh, initiative like the Belt and Road Initiative can help to connect people. And developing countries can benefit from easier access to markets. We want to get into the Chinese market. We want to sell our manufactured products there. We want to sell, in South Africa, we produce, for example, something with uh, red meat. It's a dry red meat. It's called boltong. It is so tasty. I had that. that. You've I had that. Very good. And is it very good? Yeah, it is. There I'm are, now doing commercials for South Africa. Well, yeah. 1.4 billion Chinese people have not yet been exposed <laughs> to it. And, uh, See, this is the trade minister we are talking to. <laughs> yes, please. So Belt and Road provides an infrastructure where we can trade with each other, we can travel, we can invest, and that is a good thing. And finally, before we go, very briefly a question. But I want to ask this question from the very beginning when I saw you. When you were organizing the business council meeting, when you were inviting on behalf of your president, all the heads of state and the leaders from the uh, emerging economy to speak, I always wonder how we emerging economies can serve as a bridge, and you are a crystallization of that, Mr. Minister. So how do you see we can be each other's bridges? I think it can happen through both technical cooperation, but also openness to each other, to learn from each other, to contribute to each other's welfare, and to defend the global trading system. When one country is cut out of the global trading system, it damages the entire global trading system. So the bridge, we want to build a bridge with Europe, we want to build a bridge with the United States. We want to build a bridge with China and India. We all need to be bridge builders because we are all human beings. We are one species. Whether my skin is brown or my skin is lighter, it doesn't matter. Underneath the skin is one common humanity. And that humanity finds expression when people collaborate with each other. Different cultures different languages, but one common humanity. Thank you so much, uh, Mr. Minister.